Welcome back to the Nutrition Science Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Adrian Chavez, and in this episode, we are going to be discussing artificial sweeteners. Are they really a safe alternative to sugar? And artificial sweeteners might be one of the most controversial topics in nutrition and health. Some people will tell you that they're completely safe and there's absolutely nothing to worry about. And other people will tell you that they cause weight gain, disrupt our metabolism, disrupt our microbiome, and cause cancer. And so what's the truth? And why is there so much controversy around this topic? So that's what we're going to get into today. And there's a lot to cover in this topic. So we're going to go ahead and jump right into the episode and start talking about artificial sweeteners. So first, let's define what artificial sweeteners are. Artificial sweeteners are part of a larger group of sweeteners defined as non-nutritive sweeteners. This larger group of sweeteners includes artificial sweeteners, but it also includes natural non-nutritive sweeteners such as things like stevia and monk fruit, along with sugar alcohols such as erythritol, mannitol, sorbitol, and other types of sugar alcohols. Now, the difference between these different categories is the artificial sweeteners, the things that we're going to be discussing today, include things like aspartame, acesulfame K, saccharin, and sucralose. These are artificially synthesized compounds versus sugar alcohols, which are naturally occurring, and things like stevia and monk fruit, which are also naturally occurring as well. To date, most of the controversy with this category of foods is in reference to the artificial sweeteners. We don't really have any data to warrant concerns with consumption of the natural non-nutritive sweeteners like stevia and monk fruit. And with the sugar alcohols, we know that there are some potential negative effects of consuming these with individuals who have GI issues and are sensitive to these certain types of sugar alcohols. So these sugar alcohols can actually get fermented by our gut microbiota and for some people that can lead to gas and bloating and a laxative type of effect. So for individuals who have that type of effect to sugar alcohols, it may be best to reduce or avoid their consumption of those. But there hasn't been any negative health effects that have been demonstrated from these sugar alcohols. And these are naturally occurring sugars as well. They can be found in various fruits. They're not often found in as large of amounts as they can be found in certain food products when they're used as an additive but we don't really have any concerns at this point with the sugar alcohols now the artificial sweeteners on the other hand that's where a lot of the controversy lies because the artificial sweeteners are chemically synthesized so individuals tend to automatically have a more negative response to anything that falls within this category due to the appeal to nature that's often used to categorize foods as healthier, unhealthier, or desirable or undesirable. And I don't recommend following that mantra of natural equals healthy and unnatural equals unhealthy, but it's important to understand the different types of things that you're consuming and make your own choices about the risks that you're willing to assume. So artificial sweeteners. The first artificial sweetener was developed in 1879, and that was saccharin. And this was developed while working with coal tar. This was developed by Konstantin Falberg in 1879. They found out that this compound was really sweet. All of these cases, it was chemists working in a lab and 
licking their fingers when they really weren't supposed to be and they find out that these compounds are sweet and then they turn around and patent the uh, specific compound and turn it into a sweetener. So this compound, they found out it was sweet. They patented it, named it saccharin. This was before FDA approval, so it actually started becoming sold on the market without having to go through an approval process. And this compound, saccharin, its consumption increased during World War One, increased more during the 60s and 70s, and now it's the third most common sweetener consumed in the United States. It's pretty far behind the first two, which are aspartame and sucralose, but it remains on the market, and it's been something that's been used for over 100 years now. So saccharin is named Sweet and Low, and there's been a lot of controversy with saccharin because it wasn't initially submitted for FDA approval, so it was actually taken off the market and put back on the market when safety studies evaluated saccharin. But as I'll point out at the end of discussing all of these specific sweeteners, at this point, all of these artificial sweeteners have gone through a pretty rigorous FDA approval process. We'll talk a little bit more about what that is in a second, but it's important to understand that. And I know some people don't trust the FDA, the government. I get it. I don't really have much faith in our regulatory bodies either, but these compounds do go through an approval process and this data is submitted, the data is available, and there's a lot that goes into it. So again, we'll talk about that in a second. But next is going to be aspartame. Aspartame was discovered in 1965 by James Slatter, who was working on an anti-ulcer medication, found out that the intermediate compound was incredibly sweet, and he went on to patent this product and they got FDA approval for aspartame in 1981 and it's often sold under the brand name NutraSweet or Equal today. Next is Acesulfame K which was first discovered in 1967 by Carl Klaus who discovered it accidentally and this is the same with all of these sweeteners. It's kind of funny story if when you read into like they were all discovered accidentally while working on other compounds but SSLFMK was discovered they found out it was sweet it was patented submitted for approval got FDA approval in 1988 and sucralose is one of the newer commonly used sweeteners on the market there's a couple of sweeteners that I'm just not going to mention because they're not used at all uh, but sucralose is one of the newer more commonly used sweeteners on the market it was first discovered and patented in 1976 wasn't approved for use until 1998. This is commonly sold under the brand name Splenda, and it is currently the second most commonly consumed sweetener behind aspartame. So sucralose, acesulfame K, aspartame, and saccharin are the four primary artificial sweeteners that are consumed in the U.S. and I believe in other Western countries as well. Which leads me to my next point is these sweeteners have been evaluated for safety by regulatory bodies throughout the world. For example, aspartame has been approved by over 100 different regulatory bodies. Same holds true for all of these artificial sweeteners. They're all approved elsewhere, not just the United States, but in other countries as well, and each regulatory body undergoes an independent investigation to determine whether or not this specific food compound is unsafe. Now, what they're doing is when they do this, they're, they're taking animal studies and they're taking animal studies where these animals were fed different concentrations of these compounds and determined whether or not or at what point health issues start to develop when these animals are given very high levels of consumption. So for all of these 
approval processes for all of these different sweeteners, these types of studies were submitted. Oftentimes over 10 studies where animals, usually rats, were given a certain amount of this compound or various amounts of each of these compounds. So for example, they'll give them uh, one milligram per kilogram of body weight, two milligrams per kilogram of body weight, 10, 20, and then they'll look at whether or not these animals develop any negative health issues as a result of consuming these sweeteners at that level. And that's how they are submitted for approval to start being used in foods. And so I wanted to mention this, and it's important to understand that these things are not just being put on the market with absolutely no oversight. There is oversight going into how these things get approved, how they are able to get used in food products, and they have to go through a rigorous process. However, this doesn't look at the impact on human consumption because when these companies submit for approval, it's based on animal studies. They're not allowing these companies to feed these compounds to humans at this point. Once they get approved, now they're allowed to be put into food and now the human experiment begins and some human trials are done in short-term studies, 7 days, 14 days, things like that. But overall, a lot of the regulatory and FDA approval is based on exposing animals to very high amounts of these compounds. So once they get approved and humans start consuming them, then we start to gather data on long-term health outcomes. So this is where a lot of the controversy comes from because these things are put into the food supply without really being rigorously tested on humans because that's just not feasible. They can't run studies giving these to humans for years, so we have to extrapolate the best we can based on animal studies. And then if we determine these things to be safe or they don't cause any major health implications in animals, then they're allowed to be put into the food supply. And then we gather data over time on how consuming these foods may impact health. And so today what I want to do is I want to go over four common claims that we'll see all over social media and elsewhere about artificial sweeteners. We're going to examine the merit of each claim, talk about a couple of studies that will help shine some light into the validity of each claim. And then at the end, we'll kind of wrap it up and discuss overall the consumption of artificial sweeteners, whether or not there's something you need to be avoiding, whether or not there are certain types of sweeteners that you may want to avoid, etc. So let's review the four claims real quick and then we'll jump right into claim number one. So first claim, does it disrupt our metabolism and glucose intolerance? So that's claim number one, artificial sweeteners disrupt our metabolism and disrupt our glucose tolerance. Claim number two, artificial sweeteners disrupt our microbiome. Claim number three, artificial sweeteners increase the risk of cancer. Claim number four, artificial sweeteners increase the risk of cardiovascular disease. So we'll go through each of those claims really quickly. I have a lot of data to share, so I'm going to try to get through it as quickly as I can. Claim number one, do artificial sweeteners disrupt our metabolism and glucose tolerance? So first thing I want to discuss is a paper that was published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition in 2020. This was a meta-analysis of 26 randomized controlled trials where participants were fed different types of artificial sweeteners and their blood glucose and blood insulin levels were assessed in response to the consumption of these sweeteners. 
And what these studies showed was there were no changes in glucose or insulin in response to consuming these sweeteners. And the same was true for all artificial sweeteners. And this is pretty well established that consuming these sweeteners isn't going to increase glucose or increase insulin like a sugar-sweetened beverage would. And that's why these sweeteners are used, or as they're used as an alternative to sugar, because sugar is going to create an insulin and glucose response and negatively affect metabolism when consumed in large quantities, whereas the idea is that consuming these artificial sweeteners won't have that same effect. So we do know pretty conclusively that they don't increase insulin or don't increase glucose when consumed, so they don't lead to that specific response. Now there was another paper that was published in the Frontiers of Nutrition in 2020 as well, and this paper focused on the long-term impact of consuming artificial sweeteners, not the acute impact where you know you consume it and does glucose and insulin rise right after you consume it but the long-term impact of consuming these sweeteners over a period of weeks and sometimes months and what they found in this study was that no artificial sweeteners impacted glucose control at all except for sucralose where in a few studies when sucralose was given with another sweetener with a caloric based sweetener that seemed to have a negative impact on metabolism. So there was a few studies that have shown this. Um, One of these studies was actually shared on a podcast, on a very popular podcast, um, and it was sent to me multiple times. It was from um, the Huberman Lab, I think is what the podcast is called. But this study was published by Dallenberg and colleagues in Cell Metabolism in 2020. And in this study, individuals who got sucralose Um, they had poor glucose metabolism or they had worsening uh, glucose metabolism or insulin sensitivity or fasting insulin. Um, So in this study, their fasting insulin went up, but what wasn't discussed in the podcast that was sent to me and what wasn't discussed when this study was shared multiple times is that the individuals who were given sucralose were also given what's called maltodextrin, which is pure glucose. And this can likely on its own have a negative impact on metabolism and the results were being attributed to the artificial sweetener and not the maltodextrin. Doesn't make sense to me why this study was designed this way. This is the challenge with research is sometimes you'll find a study that seems to support one stance but if you dig into the study design there's a little bit more going on there and that was the case in this study. If we look at the other randomized controlled trials that have given individuals sucralose, one showed increased insulin responses, the other didn't. And so the results are mixed here and again this is another reason why there's so much gray area on these topics and interpreting scientific research can get challenging because you'll find one study that shows one outcome and then you'll find another study that shows another outcome and you got to try to make sense of it all. And if you're just someone who wants to figure out whether or not these are harmful or not and you see a headline that says they're harmful and another headline that says they're not because one person is sharing one study and one person is sharing another, it can get really challenging. So overall, um, these sweeteners don't impact acute glycemic responses. They don't increase blood sugar. They don't increase insulin when we consume them. However, consuming them over a period of time, in the case of sucralose, if you're consuming it along with another sugar source, may have a negative effect. Most people aren't consuming sucralose in addition to 
like sugar because you're using it as a replacement for sugar. So I'm not sure how relevant that is when it comes to metabolism, when it comes to body weight. These artificial sweeteners don't seem to be having a negative effect. Next, we're going to talk about the microbiome. Do artificial sweeteners disrupt the microbiome? And I have to start this by discussing the microbiome and help you understand how oftentimes the microbiome is being spoken about in a way that really doesn't make sense. So when we talk about our gut microbiota, the microbes that reside in our gastrointestinal tract, we're talking about 40 trillion microbes. And we can measure these somewhat well in our stool, but we can't really measure our entire microbiome. We can measure what comes out in our poop. And that's pretty much it. And what we're talking about when we say something disrupts the microbiome or changes the microbiome is that of all of the many, many different microbes that come out in our poop, something has changed. Whether or not that change is good or bad or neutral, we don't really know usually. And pretty much anything that we do changes the composition of our microbiome. Exercise changes the composition of our microbiome. Stress changes the composition of our microbiome. Exposure to environmental pollutants can change the composition of our microbiome. Literally everything can cause a measurable alteration. So oftentimes you'll see studies that say X changes the microbiome and they make it sound like a bad thing, but we don't really know the implications of those changes. And this is often what's happening with artificial sweeteners. We're seeing changes, but we don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing or a good thing or a neutral thing. So a study that was published earlier this year is one that got a lot of attention. And this study was published in the journal Cell by Suez and colleagues. And in this study, they gave healthy adults sucralose, aspartame, or saccharin for 14 days or stevia and found that each of these sweeteners altered the microbiome in different ways. And saccharin and sucralose appear to slightly increase glucose levels as well. And an interesting thing about this study is they then took stool samples and administered a fecal transplant into germ-free mice. So they took, they took the highest responders, the individuals who had the biggest changes in glucose levels, and the lowest changes in glucose levels, and they transplanted their microbiome into germ-free mice and found that the same negative effects on metabolism persisted in the mice. So the hypothesis there is that these sweeteners are changing the microbiome in a way that's impacting glucose levels. And there's individual variation because some individuals showed changes and some didn't. And this is similar to findings from a study from 2019 that was published in the British Journal of Nutrition where they gave participants sucralose for seven days and showed a variation in glucose response to consumption of that sucralose and also changes in the microbiome that varied based on the blood sugar response as well. So I'll cite all of this research in the show notes, but that's pretty much all we have on the microbiome. Uh, we, we just know that it alters the microbiome. The artificial sweeteners of all types alter the microbiome. We have not really established that there's a major negative effect from consuming these on quote-unquote gut health. And there was also a study published in 2021 in the journal Nutrition Research that looked at the effect of artificial sweetener consumption on gastrointestinal cancers, and they found a 19% reduced risk of GI cancers among consumers of artificial sweeteners. Now, this could be chance. Um, this doesn't necessarily mean that artificial sweeteners are protecting against 
GI cancer, but this introduces another piece of gray into the equation because we think that this may potentially have a negative effect on the microbiome with some of these sweeteners, but we're also seeing that consumption of these sweeteners doesn't seem to be having a negative impact on long-term GI outcomes. So again, this is why this topic is complicated because there's a lot of data and it's not all in one direction. It's not very clear overall what's going on. So the last two claims that I'm going to review, do artificial sweeteners increase our risk of heart disease and do artificial sweeteners increase our risk of cancer? So for the first question, we are going to first discuss a 2021 study that was published in the journal Advances of Nutrition, and it looked at the intake of sugar-sweetened and low-calorie sweetened beverages on risk of cardiovascular disease. And this was a systematic review and meta-analyses that included eight studies for the relationship between low-calorie sweetened beverages and cardiovascular disease incidence and cardiovascular disease mortality. And what they found was that the consumption of these low-calorie sweetened beverages was associated with higher rates of cardiovascular disease incidence and mortality. This effect seemed to be less potent as the sugar-sweetened beverages. So in this study, they looked at sugar-sweetened beverages and they looked at artificially sweetened beverages. The effect was stronger for sugar-sweetened beverages. And this goes back to why these things are used. Artificially sweetened beverages are used as a replacement for sugar-sweetened beverages. And in that context, they're probably a positive alternative. However, in this paper, there seems to be risk associated with consuming higher amounts of these artificial sweeteners. There was another paper published by Lee and colleagues in the Journal of Public Health earlier this year. And this one took 15 study populations and included over a million participants. And what they found was that artificially sweetened beverages were associated with about the same increase in risk of cardiovascular and all-cause mortality as sugar-sweetened beverages. Artificially sweetened beverages were associated with a 12% increased risk of all-cause mortality and a 23% increased risk of mortality from cardiovascular disease. These findings are further supported by a study that was published earlier this year from the Nutrinet Sante cohort. This is a French population-based study. This includes about 100,000 individuals. They've been followed for about seven years now. And this study reports on individual sweeteners. So they do a much more detailed dietary intake. And instead of reporting on sugar-sweetened beverages, which is what most studies do because it's easy to ask people, do you drink diet soda or diet drinks, as opposed to trying to tease out all sources of sweeteners. In the study that I'm referring to, the Nutrinet Sante cohort, they teased out all of the individual sweeteners so that we can have a better understanding of the relationship between consumption of these sweeteners and risk of disease. This is a study that hasn't been going on for too long, but some data is starting to be published now. And in this study that was published earlier this year, they found that consumption of aspartame was associated with a 17% increased risk of cerebrovascular disease and acesulfame K and sucralose were associated with a higher risk of coronary heart disease. So there are limitations to all of these studies because they are population-based studies. They are examining associations and they're not feeding people artificial sweeteners, but these results are pretty consistent. They remain after adjustment for statistical confounders and I don't believe that all of these 
positive associations are coincidental or are due to what's called reverse causality, which means that people who are consuming these artificial sweeteners already have health issues. And that's why they're consuming the artificial sweeteners. And we're seeing these associations because the health issues are causing people to consume these sweeteners and not the other way around. And this is something that some people tend to argue about this data. But at this point, the amount of data is mounting, showing these associations. And it seems to be pretty consistent across studies, which would indicate that there's probably something going on here. So let's look at claim number four now about cancer. So another study that was published in 2022, earlier this year in the journal Nutrients, compiled the results of 25 observational studies that included about 4 million participants, and they showed that artificial sweetener consumption was not associated with increased cancer risk except a small increase among European cohorts, but it was associated with a 13% increased risk of all-cause mortality. In a previous review paper that was published in 2015, looking at specific cancers, artificial sweetener consumption was associated with over two times increased risk of laryngeal cancer and urinary tract cancers, along with multiple myeloma in men, and a 30% increased risk of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and a 30% increased risk of leukemia. That paper also showed that artificial sweetener consumption was associated with a lower rate of breast cancer and a lower rate of ovarian cancer as well. Not sure if these are coincidental or there's actually something going on there. Again, that's the challenge of these, this type of research. So another study that was published earlier this year um, from that Nutrinet Sante cohort that I mentioned earlier. So this is another one that sparked controversy earlier this year because that paper was published and it showed that aspartame was associated with a 15% increased risk of cancer and azosulfam K was associated with a 15% increased risk of cancer. So that's that cohort that I was mentioning earlier that was done out of France where they got more detailed diet records and they found an association in that particular study. So again, I, these studies seem to be showing some negative effects of consuming these artificial sweeteners. To be quite honest, before I dove into the literature to prepare for this episode, to re-familiarize myself with some of the studies that I may have not read yet, I was quite surprised to see some of the outcomes that I saw. Truthfully, I've been one to believe that there's really not much risk involved with consuming artificial sweeteners. And now I don't necessarily think that there's major risk involved. I do still think that they're a better alternative to a sugary food or a sugary beverage. So if you're going to have a Coke, having a Diet Coke is probably a better alternative to satisfy that craving. However, I do think that based on this data that I've shared with you, and I'll put all the, the links in the show notes if you want to read more. There's, there's a lot of papers that have been published just in this year that have cast doubt on the idea that these sweeteners are completely benign and have started to provide support for a case that these may not be the safest alternative to sugar. Now, I have been one that has always said these are a great safe alternative to sugar, and I will still stand by that in saying that if you were going to have a Diet Coke, like I mentioned a second ago, or if you were going to have a Coke, switching for a Diet Coke is a better alternative. But based on the data that I've reviewed, 
It's my opinion that it might be best to exercise a bit of caution with consuming these artificial sweeteners and to consume them in moderation if it's something that you enjoy and it's a way to reduce sugar cravings and satisfy sugar cravings, but it may be best to opt for the natural non-nutritive sweeteners. It may be best to try to work through that sweet tooth and use fruits and other natural foods as a way to satisfy those cravings because as we've discussed in this episode, these things are not causing weight gain. They're probably not causing glucose dysregulation to any major degree, but their consumption over a lifetime, over a long period of time, does seem to be associated with slightly higher rates of cardiovascular disease, potentially slightly higher rates of cancer. And I think the data is enough to warrant paying attention to it and minimizing consumption where you can. I wouldn't be obsessive about it. I wouldn't try to avoid them at all costs, but I would just encourage you to be aware of your consumption from different sources. And if you find that you're consuming high amounts from various sources, it may be best to find replacement items for some of those foods. Now, again, these risks aren't extremely high. They're not based on the strongest data, but there does seem to be something there. And if you want to be on the safe side, might just be best to limit your consumption. I know I have been consuming artificial sweeteners pretty consistently for most of my adult life. And for me, after putting together this research, probably going to change my behavior a little bit, probably opt for more stevia sweetened beverages. I like this energy drink that is has sucralose and SSOFAM K. I'll probably not purchase that one anymore. And focus on tea and coffee, which I know have health benefits for getting my caffeine in as opposed to this product. So that is all I have for this episode. I hope this information was helpful. I know I went quite a long time. There's going to be like 20 different citations in the show notes. I did a lot of reading for this and pulled together a lot of different research. And there's a lot to be discussed on this topic. There's still a lot to be learned on this topic. But my general takeaway at this point, just be cautious. Don't be afraid, but pay attention to your consumption. And if you want to be on the safe side, it might be best to limit your consumption of these artificial sweeteners. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Nutrition Science Podcast. If you like this episode, make sure and share it. Make sure and leave a five-star review on iTunes. Hope you have a great day and we'll talk soon.